0: everyone, and welcome to the World Anomics Podcast, brought to you by the UQES Diversity Team. I'm Lynn, I'm Bronwyn. And I'm Elise. And each week, we bring in a new guest to talk about the issues that matter. So before we get started today, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land, upon which we record this podcast, and would like to pay my respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. Now, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Priscilla Mann, who is here to talk to us about her path in mathematical economics.
1: Oh, thank you for inviting me to your podcast series. Um, Yes, I'm Priscilla, and I'm a senior lecturer at the School of Economics. I work on game theory, which uh, studies strategic interactions, is part of what we typically call... um, economic theory or mathematical economics. Um, Part of my research lies on the more abstract mathematical side of the spectrum of game theory, but I also collaborate with colleagues around the world on applying game theory to more specific problems, um, such as rent-seeking contests or elections.
0: Just to start us off, just a question we like to ask our guests, just to sort of break it in, is: What is your quarantine sanity tip? So, what are you doing, or do you try to do, just to get you through this very weird period we live in?
1: Sanity is something that is very elusive. You know, the more you try to chase after it, the more it runs away. So, I just give up my hope on sanity, and then it comes. But I mean, if you are really looking for a more concrete, um distraction, um, why not try building a time capsule? This is actually a suggestion from my daughter's teacher. And I find it looking at this very unusual time with a historical perspective, it does help. That's a
0: a really good one. I never actually really thought about doing that. so just for the listeners, you are the Wellness, and wellness Diversity and Inclusion Officer at the School of Economics. Could you tell us a little bit about that role and you know, what you do within it?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm actually quite new to this role, so I think I'm, there's still a lot of learning for me to do. Um, obviously, much of the attention right now is how the coronavirus is affecting wellness and diversity and what we can do about it like um you know what do we think about learning from uh, um learning from home and of course uh working from home but i think you know on a longer time horizon i do want to give some deeper thoughts on what exactly does diversity mean to the school of economics, I mean, to this particular school of economics as well. So which aspects of diversity should we be working on? How can we foster diversity in a more organic manner? I don't want it to feel very forced and pushed. And... Um, also very much an economist view, you know, how do we avoid unintended consequences when we are trying to implement these diversity policies.
0: That's a, definitely be an interesting approach to look at. Um, as you said before, you work in mathematical economics. It's considered a pretty male-dominated field. So how did you move into it?
1: It was an accident. Um, when I started my PhD, I actually, I really wasn't intending to specialize in mathematical economics, because um, I hadn't had that kind of rigorous mathematics background. But um, in my second year of studies, um, which basically was the time when I need to choose, you know, what what would I like to specialize in. Um, So there was some timetable crash, and then as a result, I have some free time. So at that point, I just want to earn some money. So I was going around looking for some uh, little teaching jobs. And um, my then-would-be thesis advisor, who is a mathematical economist, gave me a job marking his exam, and then I accepted, and the rest is history. I wish all
0: my accidents turned out like this. Um, so what do you think of the challenges that you or other women face entering into um, the field?
1: I actually find that um, in mathematical economics, people are pretty friendly to each other, perhaps because we don't have that many assumptions to argue about. You know, mathematically something is correct, it's correct. So it, they, they are rather friendly, honestly. <laughs>
0: So then why do you think there aren't that many females in the field? I
1: think is, you know, the short answer would be this is really related to why there are so, uh, why there's so few women in STEM disciplines. Um, So we can have, we can write a very long list of reasons. But um, if I were to just pinpoint one, I would say that um, there is something related to the confidence in the mathematics ability, and this confidence is correlated with gender. So basically, what happened is that in our popular culture, mathematics is often portrayed it as a smart discipline, you know, only smart people can do, do mathematics. And if you think about, you know, mathematicians in films, they are, you know, they're genius often. And by itself, this, this is not gender-laden at all. But because men tend to hide their stress while women tend to voice their anxiety, when they face something that is perceived to be difficult, like mathematics, so everyone thinks that you know this is this is something that only smart people can do, and you know I have that anxiety, I don't know if I can do it, then men would tend to say, "Oh, I'm on top of it," while women would tend to say, "Ah, this is hard now, if there's no appropriate feedback at this point, you know to to help them to actually pinpoint exactly where these reactions are coming from, then this can very easily become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so even though female students are not worse in mathematics, their underconfidence would prevent them from choosing uh, mathematics-heavy fields like mathematical economics because they feel that they are not smart enough.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think I also faced this underconfidence with maths. Um, so how did you avoid um, the lack of confidence or like this pitfall?
1: I think I really owed it to my thesis advisor. Um, when I told him that, oh, you know, I didn't think I can do mathematical economics because I hadn't had a mathematics background, he simply answered and said, um, you can learn um, really just like that. And um, he pointed out that, you know, whichever field I choose, I would have to put in an enormous effort in learning. It's not as if if I choose some other field that is thought to be easier, then I would not have to learn. So in that case, I might, say, I might as well just choose something that I like. And I think that's quite important in the sense that he changed my mindset. Rather than thinking that, am I smart enough for doing this, he made me think about, am I willing to pay effort for doing this? And and that was the main factor, I would say.
0: So how would you say, or has your experience with this um, given you an insight into how to make economics more diverse and accessible for women in particular?
1: Well, in relation to what I was talking about, I think, um, you know, as a teacher, I think, I mean, or as teachers, I think we should be commending students or encourage students in terms of their effort rather than how smart they are, just like what my advisor did. I mean, in general, we should also move away from these ideas that, you know, one's mathematical proficiency measure how smart you are because that's just not true. Um, this, kind of change in attitude actually benefits both male and female students. But I think for female students, it sidelines that underconfidence and might help them to really step forward and to say, you know, this is what I like, I want to do it. and, And that would help.
0: That's a great approach. Now, many people believe that it is about confidence rather than diversity. However, that's not the case, correct?
1: Well, I think if we are just making a purely academic or theoretical discussion, then yes, it's about confidence rather than diversity. But I think practically, um how confidence is expressed is related to gender, cultural background, and other factors that we considered in relation to diversity. So my point is not to say you know confidence is actually not important or is It's not an attribute that we should be looking for. But we should be aware that confidence has many different expressions. And these expressions are not necessarily the social elite Anglo-Saxon male expression. So to give you an example, um, this one is actually related to cultural background more than gender. Um, I remember that once we were interviewing a potential job candidate. And he was from an East Asian background. So my colleague asked him how he got the idea of his research. And the candidate said something along the lines of, um, he got it when, while having coffee with a friend. Afterwards, my colleague talked to me and said, you know, he is not serious. He thinks research is just about chatting over coffees. And I say, no, no, no. That's his way of saying how smart he is. He is implying that if he could give, have got good ideas just over coffee, then he would have achieved much more if we hired him. And I was able to make this interpretation because I know in his culture, um, modesty and subtleties are virtues. So he won't be very comfortable jumping on and say, look how good I am. But he, can, he, he wants to in, make these very subtle implications that he's very smart. Um, but, of course, this point was lost on someone who didn't realise that there are cultural differences of expressing um, confidence and competence.
0: Yeah, that's a great example. Um, so I take it that, obviously, you object to asking minority groups to, quote-unquote, play the game or try to fit in.
1: Correct. I think nothing runs more contrary to diversity than trying to fit everybody into the same box, Because if you think about it, diversity is desirable because when we recognize and embrace differences, we learn more, we gain new perspective, we understand more, we learn from a wider range of experiences. All of these gains will be lost if we try to squash people into a one-size-fits-all mold. Even if you elevate these people to leadership positions after squashing them, because they would have been told that their initial differences are burdens rather than um, their advantages. So, if you think about the job candidate example that I have just mentioned, you know, I brought a perspective to the table exactly because I am East Asian, or at least. I understand how East Asians talk about themselves. And I don't think that subtle expressions are a negative porn. If I were told to, you know, talk like um a white male before I can get promoted, then even if I recognize the candidate's porn, I might still discard it because I would say that didn't fit the norm. And we might have just passed a good candidate for a wrong reason in that case.
0: I couldn't agree more. Um and so our last question today is: How do you think that we can change corporate culture?
1: Well, look, I'm an economist, so I would say that you can't really get changes unless people see the economic benefits. I mean, economics is not necessarily financial, but you know, the the benefits to them. So. This is actually something that I think economics as a discipline can contribute as well. Can we demonstrate the benefits of diversity? Can we put diversity into a cost-benefit analysis? Because I feel that if diversity policy can be proved to be a superior business practice, then they will get picked up. Um, I mean, this is not to say that there's no ideological value of diversity. But if we want to see the change happening, then people need to be given incentive. But I think since this by itself is a good thing, the incentive is there, is inherent. The, the issue is how do we demonstrate it?
0: Yes. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. I feel like we've had some very valuable discussions um and it was great to hear about your path in mathematical economics and about your thoughts on diversity within the field thank you as well that's all for this week thanks for listening and we hope to see you again next week